Welcome back to Thriving in Business and Life. This is Will Wilkinson. And this is Christopher Harding. And we're going to pick up where we left off last week. We were talking about the power of stories and how we don't even realize that we're making up a story. We're imposing facts onto the meaning. And And we all do it. All the time. It seems like a phenomenon. Maybe some really creative people are doing this. Well, it turns out we're all very creative. (laughs) Exactly. So what we're going to do today is look at another aspect of storytelling that happens typically at the unconscious level, and that is when biases slip into our storytelling. Right, and we have to start at the beginning, which is explaining what a bias is. I love the quote here that we pulled from our book. All of us show bias when it comes to what information we take in. We typically focus on anything that agrees with the outcome we want. <laughs> right. So we'll get back to that uh, in, a, in a moment. So that's a good, a good preview of coming attractions. Uh, right. So like I'm biased that this podcast is going to be really popular. So I only attract people who tell me they really like it. <laughs> that's funny. That's all I see. <laughs> the world is filled with people who love our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Well, I... <laughs> I uh, you know, I, I think about bias, and, and we do have people ask us, you know, what, what is bias? And so we use a couple of analogies to, to kind of describe it. One is you could say a bias is an angle mm-hmm. or a perspective, a slant on something that therefore means that it's not totally accurate. It only has a piece of the, a piece of the information, and that may be out of context. Right. And I always appreciate how you make sure that we don't convey there's something wrong with biases. Right. They're not yeah. inherently evil. They're shortcuts. I love that term you applied to them. Sometimes a shortcut works. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't. Well, the one we use in, in our, our book and our online course of, of a, you know, effective bias is while we're driving, it's great that we aren't focusing on everything because we would become totally distracted and crash. We actually couldn't drive if we were treating all the data equally. Right. So in a sense, biases are prioritizing input. Right. Prioritizing and creating preferences around what we believe and yeah. what we don't. And, and Narina Hertz, her quote, uh, what's so interesting about it is that she's referring to this mechanism in our brain that is selective in terms of what it's willing to see. It's it's sometimes called brain blindness. It's uh, called confirmation bias. We we invented a term, the Subaru effect. Right, right. Because you're, you're shopping for a Subaru, you're biased towards them, and then suddenly all you see on the road are Subarus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, the real simple aspect of this is if I have a notion that you or someone like you is high potential, you've got a lot of talent, I'll lean into that conversation more, I'll involve you more than if I thought you were someone who doesn't really have credibility or potential. And it becomes a self-reinforcing loop. Right, right. I think you call that the halo effect. Well, yeah. Someone can do no wrong. They're this sainted individual that you see as being so valuable. So you give them more opportunities, they excel, you think of them as being even more valuable. Yeah. Meanwhile, someone else is being left out. Well, and I heard a great quote the other day. The speaker was saying that, you know, uh, talent is distributed equally, but opportunity is not. That's very profound. So talent is distributed equally. Right. Opportunity is not. Yeah. So people are coming into our world, into our workforce, our environment, 
And, you know, there's all kinds of talent that's spread throughout the distribution of the human race, right? But our preferences are are typically colored or filtered. Yes. And so just what you described, I will tend to give preferential opportunity to some people while unintentionally probably even excluding others from the same opportunity. And it's really subtle. It might be an assignment that I give or an opportunity, but it also might be something as, as simple as, hey, Will, let me show you how this works. Yeah, let me yeah. show you the, right. the ropes, so right. to speak. Right. So you're mentoring one person, ignoring another. Right. Well, how many of us have felt invisible? How many times have we heard ourselves or someone else say, nobody even knows I'm here. They, they don't see me. Yeah. I was in a conversation the other day and a woman was saying, you know, I, I feel completely unseen. Wow. And that's not just a metaphor. No, no. It's actually literal. Well, you've you've seen this. We've seen it. I, I remember uh, a consulting company had us come out to identify why they were having so many capable people, women in particular, leaving their organization. Mm -hmm. And so we sat in on some meetings at their request, and it became real evident that they had this unconscious thing going on in their meetings where... A woman would go to speak up, and whoever was running the meeting would either cut them short, yeah. or the woman would say something, and I'm thinking, wow, that was brilliant, because I'm observing objectively, right? And they kind of like, huh, all right, Bob, what do you think? You know, they, they'd immediately kind of like pass over it. And, and they, we, they probably didn't even know they were doing no, that. No, they, they, they had no intention of doing that. So that's the tricky thing about uh, bias and why we, we use the term the virus of bias because it sneaks into our thinking like yeah. a computer virus. And then it replicates. Yeah. It grows, it spreads. It, and it doesn't spread just in ourselves. It spreads also to other people. It infects our teams. Well, so here was what was happening. You, you give a great example in this meeting so you've got a leader let's say the leader is ignoring a certain person I don't even necessarily know why or maybe even haven't consciously connected oh look they just ignored them mm -hmm. but what I'll tend to do is mirror that same behavior yes so there's a subtle signal yeah, sent. the brain does that the mirror yeah. neurons get activated yeah that 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 person isn't someone who has credibility or mm -hmm. stock so I'll tend to mirror the, the same behavior. And thus, that person now feels invisible. Yeah. Well, we, we use the term virus of bias. We also use the term implicit bias. So let's unbundle that a little bit as well, because we want to, again, make sure we're not conveying that bias is all bad. We need bias. We need those shortcuts to drive. That was the example we used. There's other things we do almost on automatic pilot sure. because those shortcuts are installed and they're so valuable, but implicit bias, not so much. Well, and that's the other term really that we, we use for the virus of bias. It's those social memes, you could say, those subtle but often pervasive and very uh, counterproductive beliefs that get you know, spread throughout a society about a certain type of person. Uh, we've often referenced uh, the Harvard Implicit Association test where people can go in and actually, you know, test themselves to see how affected have they been by the social biases that have been spread throughout our, our collective consciousness, you could say. Mm -hmm. And it's astounding that people find they're, they're far more impacted by those biases than they ever thought they were, and even more so that they even are affected by the biases about themselves. 
Well, this reminds me of the saying uh, that people who think they can't be hypnotized are the easiest to hypnotize. <laughs> so it probably stands uh, the same that those who think they don't have biases are much more likely to have them. They're biased towards believing they don't have biases. That's <laughs> a double whammy, right? <laughs> it is. But we all have them, and I think the point of us using this in our material is to just illuminate this phenomenon. Similarly, we're all telling stories all the time. We're always imposing meaning on what's happening. Well, we all have biases, and they're always active. Well, and that's that's the uh, the thing I think that organizations who realize this are starting to be proactive about it. We've talked about this in our blog before that some organizations are now having a rotating role in meetings where somebody plays the role of the bias monitor. Right, and their job is just to observe and notice when bias rears its head. Yeah, and it might be in that somebody got overlooked, mm -hmm. you know, somebody became invisible. Mm -hmm. uh, it might be that someone is being lauded for a, a certain accomplishment while somebody else who accomplished the same thing is somehow being devalued or ignored. Well, you know, I've done a lot of moderating in conferences yeah, and mediating. Yeah. And as you know, because you've done this as well, the role is to really listen and observe and notice when this starts to happen and then direct things back so that the people who do need, do need to speak are given the chance to do so. I sometimes think of it like moving the microphone around or yeah, the spotlight. Yeah. And one of the phenomena I've noticed relative to bias is the bias towards association with our own stories, just to connect it back to what right. we spoke about last week. Right. So in other words, you start saying something, let's say you're telling me a memory you have of something that just happened, I immediately start to come up with similar stories. Sure. So I'm going to like ping pong back to you, oh yeah, the similar thing happened to me five years ago. Sometimes that's a good conversation, but sometimes it's ignoring what the person is saying and kind of hijacking what's going on. Yeah, yeah, hijacking the conversation. Yeah. Um, well, and like you said, I think most of the time it's done out of a desire to connect. Yes. Um, but uh, we have an exercise in one of our workshops where people have to listen to someone else's story without saying anything. Yeah. And it's, it's almost painful for them. You watch them shifting in their chair. They're starting to like over nod and do other things because it feels so hard not to, to interject. Yeah. Well, this, this, I think, gets back to the role of the bias monitor. Whether we have someone assigned or not, we can do it for ourselves, is to be super aware, to right. increase our situational awareness and not be so blinded, and this gets into brain blindness, which I want to talk about more in a moment, not be so blinded by our biases that we don't really see what's going on. We don't hear it. Well, and that's that's the willingness to question our decisions, question our choices, listen to what we're saying, and, and, and you know, sometimes ask out loud. Now, if, is there anything, or any biases do you think have crept into my thinking here? I mean, if I start to do that as a leader, for example, mm -hmm. What that sends is a message to everybody else that, oh, we could all be vulnerable and it's actually safe and good to be questioning ourselves about that. Well, and it also conveys to others an extremely important principle is that there are some biases we can't see. Yes. We all yes. have certain areas where we're prejudiced in deep ways. And this can go back to trauma, it can go back to preferences established by parents or other figures we respected, we don't even know that programming is in there and we're unable to see it ourselves, which is where we need 
the kinds of deep friendship and mentoring that help, can help mirror to us what we're not able to see on our own. Yeah, yeah, that person who's willing to say, wow, when I heard you say this, I wondered if, you know, yeah. and, and, yeah. and challenge us that way, and that we've created enough of a rapport with each other to where I'm open to, to hear that feedback and can actually thank them for it. You know, Norena Hertz, in her, in her opening comment, you know, talking about that we all, you know, are sorting for things that confirm our existing reality is really based on uh, a lot of, you know, recent uh, neurological and brain science that suggests that that is exactly what our brain does. Mm -hmm. it, it sorts reality to confirm what it believes to be true, and that leads to brain blindness, yeah. right? The example we use a lot is if I set my phone down somewhere and I think I set it somewhere else, and now I'm looking for my phone, I can look right where my phone actually is. My eyes will send that data to my brain and my brain will filter it out because it doesn't believe that's where the phone is. Well, I tell a story in the, in the book about a childhood experience I had helping my dad with various construction projects. And back then he was a little impatient. He would get a little irritated with me because <laughs> I was very inept. And so he'd say, uh, go to the garage and get the nails. And my heart would sink because I would know from past experience that I would not be able to find those nails. <laughs> so now I'm emotionally engaged, I'm triggered, I'm upset. Every time I go into the garage and I'm praying, now I'm a devout uh, religious person, I'm praying <laughs> to God to help me find the nails, cannot find the nails. And he says, so right on the bench. I go out and I say, Dad, I can't find the nails. He marches us in there, and the nails are right there on the counter. Seemingly as if they'd appeared out of nowhere. Yeah, and for me, yeah. it was like, how could I not see those? That is brain blindness. Right. So now, we were talking about it earlier, apply that to people. And that's why if I don't believe a certain person or type of person has capability, let's say, to be in a leadership role... I will, there will be something about them when we go to consider them that I, it'll feel like, mm, I just don't think they're a fit, yeah. you know? And that's where the, the bias monitor comes in, where they go, well, let's get real clear about that. Why don't they fit? All of the data suggests that they're performing just fine. And the person, you can, you watch them, and if it's me, I can see myself going through the motions of, well, and all of a sudden you start trying to, pull out isolated incidents of something they did that wasn't quite right because we're trying to prove our point. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a trap. Well, and biases are fractal in the sense that they can be very small and personal and go up to be something very macrocosmic, like a, a biased frame, which would be, well, unconscious, which is, I'm always looking for the safe way to do things. Right, right. So there's a program that is going to condition me to give preference to things that seem safe and seem like they'll work, and I'll discount the riskier options simply because that doesn't fit with my frame. You know, I had a wonderful business mentor at one point. He was the chairman of the board of the parent company that owned the company I ran. And he said to me one time, he was talking about the exact thing you're talking about. He said, if your bias against risk mm -hmm. is profound enough, you have to watch out because you'll start doing things that, to avoid risk that actually create more risk. Yes, I understand. And I, you're reminding me of a, 
a uh, man I worked for years ago, he owned a, a bank. Imagine that, he had his own bank. <laughs> and uh, he told me that he didn't do business with people who hadn't lost money at oh, some point in their lives because he felt that if they had never lost any money, they were playing it too safe. And he wanted people who were seasoned in finding out where the line was, going across and failing, coming back, but knowing now where the borders were. That was profoundly inspirational for me because at that time in my life, I was extremely safe. I had never lost money. I had never really failed in a big way. He showed me that I was playing it too safe. That's really interesting. You know, one of the things we, we talk about in our course and when we're doing live training and coaching is that, that there's something we call a bias cycle. Yeah. So if I have a bias about somebody, I you know act towards them or treat them in a certain way that is based out of that bias. Unless they're very aware, their own natural reaction will be to do something that I can consider a confirmation of my bias. Mm -hmm. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? If I treat you like you have no talent, and here, here's the other thing, it's just wild. What they've started to find is that when somebody is experiencing what's called a stereotype threat, mm -hmm. in other words, they're being treated in a way that seems to confirm that the person who's acting upon them has a, a stereotype about them, it literally sends them into an amygdala hijack. In other words, mm -hmm. they go into survival mode, their higher functions of the brain start to shut down, and they actually perform far less capably than they're actually capable of. You know, it's embarrassing for me to recall this memory, but it's so relevant, I'm going to have to uh, share it. I recall being in a small meeting years ago. Uh, we were trying to decide what script to move forward on for a small project. I had mine, and there were three or four others. When mine got picked, it was because particularly one woman who had a script was better than mine, presented in a way, we, we kind of thought of her as a troublesome person. Mm. She was trouble to work with. And so I recall, as you're saying what you're saying, in that meeting, we confirmed that because when we started pressuring for my script to be picked, she protested. And I know that what happened was, well, when you asked me, we were right. She's difficult to work with. Exactly. Well, that's a exactly perfect. That is saying. a perfect example, right? Yeah. Where, well, and here's how the here's how the bias filter works in such an uh, an unequal way. Had let's say they started to, um, you know, choose her script, and you began to protest. Yeah. Your protest would have been seen as strong leadership and someone who's passionate <laughs> exactly. about their project, right? Yeah. This double standard gets yeah. applied yeah. so that the person who's on the downside of a counterproductive bias mm. is almost in a no-win situation mm. unless somebody in the group wakes up. Well, it's such an insidious factor in our lives, and I think the hopeful idea is to really embrace being a detective. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and acknowledge that we all tell stories, we all have biases, but we can be detectives and actually be eager to ferret these things out. Yeah, you know, I, I've, I've shared many times the bias I had about a certain manager because he was an electrical engineer and I thought he was close-minded and, and didn't have the knowledge he needed to really lead us. And, you know, how it really got me in trouble until somebody 
suggested that I take a look at the story I was creating about him mm -hmm. and what bias had I infused into that story that was making him such a, in my mind, incapable leader. Oh. And, of course, as you know, it, it, it led to a real turnaround oh. in my relationship with him. And a major turnaround in your life. Yeah, truly, truly. Yeah. Huge, huge turnaround. So this is, life. I want to focus on this because we started to talk about the cycle of bias and then how to diffuse them. And if you don't mind, let's use that example of mine. So yeah. let's just imagine we're in that room and describe for our listeners how you would diffuse that cycle. My script gets picked because it's pressured to be picked. She starts to complain. We all are it's confirming to us that she's hard to work with. How would you break that cycle? How so would let, you diffuse Let's it? look at it both individually and collectively. So first of all, if I was starting to become aware of biases, let's say I was in your shoes, and I saw her starting to, you know, make a passionate case for right. why hers was. Which she did. And I and and I began to, you know, you almost have to be aware of your thoughts. You have to catch it midstream mm -hmm. and, and almost hear in the back of my mind going, yeah, see. So it's yeah. like a witnessing state. Yeah, yeah. You really get into a, a state of, of great description, witnessing your own thought. Mm -hmm. And then, then question, why am I feeling this way? What's my belief? Mm -hmm. You know, what... What's a possible bias I could have mm -hmm. in this situation? So the willingness to regularly ask that um, is, a, is a good step. Now, most of us in the moment are quite that capable, right? <laughs> well, we're, we're so involved in what's going yeah. on. We've, we've, we're so super conscious about our objectives and the details that we become unconscious to the patterns that are guiding what's happening. So that leads to another another approach. You you talked about the term the moderator. Mm -hmm. Well, one is you could certain suddenly give yourself the role of the moderator, and say, you know, let's say her name was Jean. Uh, wow, Jean, sounds like you're really passionate about this. Tell tell us more. What what are you feeling is going on here? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I can even say, do you feel like you're being heard? Are we are we giving you, you know, ample voice here? Mm -hmm. I mean, those are questions that right away, if if I ask that of somebody, they'll probably say, no, I don't think you're hearing me. Right. Well, I'm just sort of leaping ahead into a million boardrooms. Yeah. And a hundred million meetings where nobody is doing this. Well, unless and a huge impact yes. that would would accrue if. Any one individual began to, to behave that way. Well, and we were talking about risk a minute ago, right? Yeah. So, so the part of the reason why people don't is they're averse to risk. Yeah. And that's why if I'm a leader, I want to make sure that it's safe for people to, to ask those kind of questions. But let's say I wasn't you. Let's say I was somebody else in the room and I saw this going on. That's when, like you said, I can give voice to this and go, hold on, everybody. I don't think we're really hearing what she's saying. Mm -hmm. You know, tell us more about this. Let's let's rethink this. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, and and so it's to interrupt the automatic nature yeah. of a bias cycle, yeah. which is basically devaluing her. And yeah, therefore like a pattern interrupt in NLP. Exactly, just interrupt what's going on. Yeah, and 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 literally get everybody back into a state of being conscious about what we're doing. In a way, it is hypnotic. It's it is like a spell that you're not aware you're under. Well, yeah, we've talked about our, how we become entranced by our own stories, yeah. right? Well, right. if we're entranced by a story and it's been infected by a, a counterproductive bias, 
wow, now we're actually dealing with our own preference and also the weight that an implicit bias brought into our unconscious thinking. Well, we've been focusing on um, what to do when bias strikes. Let's talk a bit about prevention. How can we set ourselves up to preempt bias having a major destructive effect on what we're doing? Well, again, part of it comes back to questions, right? So just in the very process, uh, I'll give you an example of um, what one of our clients has done. They have on their agenda uh, the very first item that says, do we have enough diversity in the room to amp, you know, really discuss this topic fully? What they're intentionally doing is trying to create a divergence of views and experience mm -hmm. and so on. Mm -hmm. So just by that step alone, mm -hmm. they'll actually bring additional people into a meeting to mm -hmm. populate it uh, with more you know, difference. Right. So, and, they're, and they're establishing the initial conditions of inclusion. Right. Yeah, and then, then the next st step is, and we talked about a bias monitor, that's one way to do it. The other one is that everybody is given the instruction to, all right, everybody, let's make sure that everybody's getting an ample opportunity to share their point of view. And there's this wonderful acronym that a friend shared with me that I thought was great. The acronym is WAIT, W-A-I-T. And it stands for two things. Why am I talking? <laughs> now there's a question. <laughs> right. Or why aren't I talking? Ah. You know, so for the person who tends to sit oh, back or the person who's, you know, more extroverted, it gives them both a way to examine themselves and, and ask, is there something I really need to say here? Or am I talking over the top of somebody and not giving someone else a well, chance? Well, you know, you're reminding me of a conference I was at years ago up in Canada where some guy was speaking and you could tell that he lost track of what he was saying, <laughs> but he kept on going. <laughs> he was like a downhill skier out of control, you know, hitting the moguls and just keeping on going. <laughs> and finally he stopped and he said to the crowd, uh, does anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> oh my goodness. And of course, nobody did. He didn't, and it was like this moment where we went, oh, we've kind of gone off the rails here. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, it's, it's uh, you know, I think th th you're talking about being preventive, right? Yeah. So, you know, make sure that we've got enough people in the room to provide a divergent set of views. And if I'm the person running the meeting, or even if I'm a participant for that matter, is to start to notice who's getting airtime and who's not. Yeah. Exactly. And and really notice when somebody brings up an objection who's not in a position of power mm -hmm. formally or mm -hmm. or typical you know person who's listened to, to make sure that I do interrupt and go hang on a sec let's yeah. let's make sure we hear what this person has to say. Yeah, I've been doing that lately. I'm in a on a online roundtable with uh, ten men, and uh, one of the guys likes to talk a lot, and he's actually very interesting, but sometimes he'll be talking along somebody else chirps in and he'll kind of ride right over them. So what I've been doing is saying, oh, hang on a second, I really am interested in what Brian just asked. Brian, could you expand on that? And I've been doing that and, and getting some thank yous for moderating that way because otherwise this guy, other guy who means well, he's just so enthused about what he's doing, he's not hearing that someone else is ready to contribute. Well, so that, that brings up another point, right, is that each one of us, if we choose to, can have the take on the responsibility to make sure 
that we're creating space mm-hmm. and that we're literally asking for, you know, now what's another take on this? What might be another mm-hmm. way to look at this? What's a reason to disagree what we're mm-hmm. talking about? Mm-hmm. And, and you know... It's really inviting more diversity rather than confirming to the limited biases we have. Right. I mean, as, as you know, all the research shows that group think is, is a tremendous disadvantage to teams and groups because they don't perform as well. I mean, the stats are that, that group think leads us to about 55% you know, performance and accuracy potential, whereas diverse groups perform at about 75%. So there's this huge gap yeah. that comes about and unless we either invite more diversity into the room and then actually create a space where we leverage the different points of view and background that are there. Well, I think our listeners have got some great homework for the week. Uh, anyone who would like can start examining their biases, being more conscious, preventing, interjecting, mediating, moderating. There's lots of ways to approach the subject. Absolutely. And so, yeah, I mean, it's the main thing is, you know, just realize that you, like all of us, are vulnerable. So let's make sure that we eradicate, as we say in our book, the virus of bias. Thanks for joining us this week. Tune in again next week to Thriving in Business and Life. I'm Christopher Harding. You can reach us at thrivinginbusinessandlife at gmail.com. And I'm Will Wilkinson. See you again next week.